Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for joining another episode of the Glitch Podcast stream. But this one is extremely special because this is the last episode for the season. I want to take a short break to really revisit a little bit how I produce this podcast. I want to optimize the process, brainstorm the direction forward, think about things I want to change, maybe even redecorate a little bit, even though I like this setup, but maybe change a few things here and there. Um, I want to revisit the cadence because I've been publishing episodes every week or every other week. And this has been like intense for me. So maybe I will start publishing once a month or something along these lines. This way I can prepare better for the episodes. I can do more research, prepare more in-depth questions, and I can make use of the guest's time in, in a much better way. So I thought the best way to wrap up this season is to get into the mind of a technical recruiter. And I know this is a topic that's um, very important for a lot of you, especially for us, we work in tech. Uh, this has been a black box, sort of. We go into the interviews. We don't, know really, we don't really know what happens behind the scenes unless we're involved in hiring. And it's good to really flesh out the whole process, talk about it. Um, and we're gonna, I'm going to do my best to really extract all the important information from my guest today. So the last thing I want to mention is this episode is coming out during a very difficult period of layoffs and economic downturn. And as an expat in a foreign country myself, I feel strongly with everyone that's being let go. It's definitely uh, heartbreaking and it must be, everybody must be like under really immense pressure especially with all the crap of dealing with visas and layoffs and the uncertainty that's coming with all of this. So for anyone listening, if you think I or my guest could help in any way, shape or form, please do reach out um, because today, unfortunately, you've been the victims of this whole mess. Tomorrow it could be us. So let us help in any way we can. My guest today is Alla Pavlova. She is a tech and art recruiter at Riot Games. Yes, you've heard it right. Riot Games, they are the designers of League of Legends, uh, Valorant, and a lot of other awesome games that you like, like and enjoy playing. Alla, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hello. My pleasure. So let's start a little bit by talking about your background. And can you tell me a little bit how you got into tech recruiting? Yeah, so by education, I was a lawyer. And I wanted to make a change and I started to work uh, as a lawyer in IT company and very quickly I realized that it's, uh, it's, it's really boring just to sit down with the documents and so many interesting things happening around. It was the outsourcing company, so a lot of uh, different um, uh, people, different technologies. So I, I got very interested and um, yeah, I hired my first software engineer. It was PHP developer in 2008. Um, and then I realized that 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 that's what I want to do. That's where I'm going to be. But at the same time, I just felt the huge gap between my education, being a lawyer <laughs> and working in tech recruitment. So I'm happy to... Yeah, to share a little bit of learning process that uh, we have to do so that uh, we can deliver a better help and service to software engineers. Amazing. Lawyer. I, I did not know that, to be honest. Uh, maybe I did not scroll through your entire experience on LinkedIn. I should have known this. I feel like I should have known this. But it's really awesome. Like This also drives the question of how did you really ramp up technically and how did you start um, learning all whatever comes as part of the tech recruiting uh, skill set? 
Yeah, so now 2022, so I, I think um, back in 2008, I just came uh, to a few software engineers with a question, hey, what can I read just to become better? And uh, they were laughing. So laughing and saying, mm, yeah, you know, it's just, it, it's hard in a way uh, to give you like one book that you can really learn. Um, it's a lot of things that are connected. It's mathematics and some things that you've learned in school. Um, and uh, yeah, you, you have to go to the university and spend like some time there. Uh, or like if you do the self-education, so it could be courses, etc. So yeah, what I started to do, I started, I became bad at Googling. <laughs> so things like uh, Wikipedia, GitHub, these kind of things became my friends. Um, um, I joined a few technical communities, started to ask questions um, and tried to get better. Like YouTube actually always like helped me a lot because you can Google, okay, so what Java developers are doing? And then you can give, uh, have a lot of insights. But then I remember the time, you know, when JavaScript was just for front-end development and all, all of a sudden you can use JavaScript for back-end and then I realized like I screwed. <laughs> it's like... Everything you've learned, it just doesn't make sense anymore. Now it's... <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is how I also added uh, a new skill to my... Um, let's say like skills portfolio is a technical sourcing, uh, meaning that I need to understand better uh, the backgrounds and so the technologies that uh, every particular person is using and uh, to, to, to better understand who are the PHP developers, who are the Android developers, etc. And um, I also understood that um, I can't be um, like in general, a tech recruiter for all technical roles. I need to find uh, an area that I will be like more happy and uh, area where I can give the most to the community of software engineers and hiring them. So that's how I ended up in gaming and started to work with uh, yeah people who are very passionate and um, understanding more about the gameplay, about the uh, the roles that uh, like tech art and this kind of things. Gaming, gaming definitely is an interesting niche because also like i wonder um what type of talent do you currently hire for gaming is it art designers or is it mo people who model or is it also the developers interesting yeah so the developers yes yeah, so we all need backend developers that's for sure <laughs> um uh, the gameplay developers also very hard to find but they're the most popular uh so all the python c++ software engineers um yeah i would say very interesting and of course if you know unreal that's that's a lot of doors will open for you. Uh, when it comes to the art roles, I would say one of the most challenging uh, that I see a lot of potential, maybe for any, you know, anyone listening to us and thinking which path to take, I would say, yeah, learn Unreal and um, uh, VFX uh, because that's, uh, that's so hard to find. Um, probably one of the most impossible jobs that I, I, I have to work. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump to this in a little bit, but like like let's step back uh, a little bit further. Did you learn how to code? Um, I did um, uh, some simple things with Python because um, yeah, first of all, my husband he's a uh, data scientist, so he decided to to teach me a little bit and uh, to, to just to do some basic words, uh, just the basic scripting, so that they can get some information from the page, so that I better understand uh, how it works. But um, no, I, I I would say I can't consider myself like even close to anything software engineering. Um, and as a tech recruiter, I see my value in in a little bit different um, uh, aspects. 
I can be helpful with interview process. I can be helpful uh, to to make sure that the candidates uh, or applicants understands the specifics of the company, being honest, and also help them to prepare. So I think it's one of the biggest things that I can do and make the uh, like uh, difference for the candidate is to help them to prepare for the best. Awesome. Okay, great. So let us talk about the typical hiring process end to end, right? Like where does it start? How do you get your mandate from a company? First of all, do you work as an employee at the company or are you hired as a freelancer? And then what do they give you to look for? And how does the whole process work? Yeah, so most of the times, um, yeah, I've worked as an in-house recruiter or right now it's more, it's called interim. So it's like the same as interim, but you are on the project work, uh, meaning that you have a very challenging role. Uh, I work for Singapore uh, Studio, so it means that um, uh, a lot of things uh, I do are project related. But imagine that, yeah, if you're just in-house recruiter, um, you start with the conversation with a hiring manager who they're looking for. And um, you'll be surprised as a software engineer how much work we have to do as to, to, to get the insights, what exactly the hiring manager is looking for. Because when you uh, read the job description that is most likely is uh, written by the hiring manager, things are a little bit generic and they're not giving you a really good idea um, who is this company looking for. And my suggestion always for any candidate, even if you like, let's say 50% think that this role can be fit, uh, still apply because there are so many hidden things that were not described on the job description just because writing job descriptions are hard. If you ever tried, you know it's hard. 100%. So you're um, so that's the great advice, first of all. Uh, second of all is um, you work with a hiring manager on unpacking what they're really looking for and developing or refining a little bit the job description. Do you write the job description yourselves or you just get, the you just get them written already by the hiring manager and their team? I personally, and I see that it is a good practice. So let the hiring manager write what they want. And then you sit down and based on what they want, you can um, advise them what is happening in the market. So one of the important things that I need to do is the research. Let's say hiring manager wants, wants the C++, uh, Python, gameplay developer with Unreal and with a little bit of VFX and whatever skills. And um, you know that it's very complex and probably like six people exist and they're already working in our company um so this way you look at the market uh, just in general uh of course we go to linkedin first uh one of the reasons because it's a um, professional platform that is easy to filter based on your location because location matters for a lot of companies still uh, even if it's remote um and the second you want to see um the years of experience, right? So that you can filter a little bit uh, the seniority between the candidates. So we do the research and coming back to uh, hiring manager with suggestion on improving the job description on some particular must-haves and nice-to-haves. So basically the hiring manager needs to decide. So three must-haves, I advise this is the maximum because if they go more, so it's not going to work out. And just a few nice-to-haves. So I heard someone mention that a job description is more of a wish list than it is a requirements list. And I love that because that's actually what it is. Uh, 
all companies and especially in our field because of lack of standards because of the diversity of technology stacks languages tooling skills experience and all of that fun stuff it's very very difficult to find the combination that fits perfectly for an organization so a job description is more of a wish list and then whatever is missing can be filled with either training upskilling or any other form or maybe just learning on the job um awesome yeah, hopefully that the candidate will understand that because when they don't see everything or they see that uh, the role is too specific, they decided not to apply. But that's the problem. It's the, the imposter syndrome kicks in, right? From my perspective, like when I when I come in and read this, I immediately think, oh, I don't qualify and I don't want to deal with the psychological pressure of a rejection. So I, some of the people take the risk averse approach and say like, yeah, I better not apply until I meet all of these qualifications. Maybe if the job description is written in another form, that could open up the door. But also, like, how do you deal with an influx of um, applications, right? So a lot of the cases, uh, companies have trouble finding talent, but a lot of other situations, for example, big tech, they have a huge dump of resumes and then they need to filter and go through those. Uh, which side are you on? Are you on the side of having difficulties finding talent or do you have to really work and filter all of this? I think I'm in the first group, unfortunately, in a way, because I work in a company that uh, people know and apply um, now when they really think that they're really like meeting the requirements. Um, I would suggest uh, that decide for yourself um, if at least like what percentage of meeting the requirements is comfortable for you. Let's say, I don't know, like 60% um, and leave 40% for like cover letter. By the way, cover letter, we always read it. It's super important. And this is a great way for you to stand out and uh, also to tackle any deal breakers, any questions that could just, you know, filter your CV because you have no way to mention um, anything. Like, for example, I don't need visa, by the way, or, you know, I'm so passionate about your, 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 your company, the games you're doing, etc. So you can really use this 40% of your not sure, uh, mentioning that in the cover letter saying, hey, by the way, I see that you require this experience, but guys, what do you think if I can offer this and that? Like opportunistic, yeah. <laughs> I always hear conflicting opinions about cover letters. I Sometimes I feel like the problem with cover letters is that if they are also templated in the sense that they're just, you know, a generic, very generic, they just are as useless as not having them maybe. They have to be really customized and the person really has to sit down and write a very specific cover letter for the company they're applying for. I think otherwise it's not going to bring in the value that. It's true. Just just two things. Uh, think about uh, like ideal cover letter, in my personal opinion, uh, is um, uh, answering two questions. Why this company and why you? So when I want to tell the company why I want to work there. So I will use my passion and the reasons why exactly I want to, because I want to work in deep mind because this company is changing the world. And uh, I know that a lot of people are saying that, but I will try to make an example what exactly is clicking with me uh, and this company. And um, I will try to add something that I see I can bring uh, on the table as a value or as a, it's a little bit of chaos to the company if they need it. Do you use any systems to uh, automatically process resumes uh, and scan them? Um, just also the advice for the audience that is very important. Um, uh, each company has their, like it's called ATS, like applicant tracking system, and your CV ended up there. So a CV and cover letter. Um, 
one thing important to know that um, sometimes if you like use Word document, if you don't convert it to PDF, um, it will look really, really bad. And sometimes it even disappear from uh, like the, the text disappear from the um, uh, your CV. And it means like that no one probably going to read it. And uh, as a recruiter, if you have like in, in general, we have between 200, 400 applications per day. It will not be physically possible for me to come back to everyone who has problems. So one gold advice, always do PDF, like never do the, the, the word. And um, yeah, so just this way it's going to end up good in the system. So how do we see that in the system? So usually uh, this is the like the file um, attached. And uh, if you don't see the way to add your cover letter, combine uh, CV and cover letter in one file and send it. So then we will see both things. And then, of course, we have a few buttons like uh, reject automatically um, with no reply. Uh, this is like the sad one. But usually, I think when you receive that, it means that you're really not matching um, their, uh, their requirements. Or another way, um, sometimes roles are closed. And if recruiter are not lazy, uh, they can add different templates. Like, hey, the roles is closed, but let's keep in touch so that you know that the reason is not because like you are not great or whatever. It's just because the role really just closed. So um, this automatic replies most of the times, yeah, the indication that something is really, really, really um, different. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you keep track of uh, how people perform um, so for example like is it more of a crm the system like do you do you take notes of the candidates that that did well like for example if i applied and you automatically rejected me for a role does my if i reapply again do you have a record of that does it match me to in europe we have such a thing like a gdpr <laughs> so it means that um, in a certain amount of time, I think the average is like minimum like uh, three months, uh, your uh, CV will disappear from the system. So um, we are not allowed to keep any um, uh, not active candidates. So it means when you apply again, so most likely it's going to be like you're trying it again. And um, um, I think a good company, a good recruiter, are not going to really look how many times you applied for this role. So because every time you should have a like equal chance and it doesn't matter. Interesting. And great. So my resume ended up in your system. It was parsed correctly. You're seeing it. You're reading my cover letter. What do you look for in this resume? Like, do you do keyword matching? Let's say this is a, an area that you're completely unfamiliar with. Um, you know, you don't know the nuances. And this is where a lot of the uh, annoyance happens from between developers and tech recruiters is that there are a lot of nuances in the field. Um, and then it's, it's a matter of how do you ma mix and match, basically. It's a really great question. And um, when the person is applying, so in a way I rely on a developer that um, he or she read the job description and uh, probably decided, yeah, okay, so this is the job I want to do. It's not always the case because we see that uh, people apply for just random jobs as well. Um, and uh, let's say I have a backend engineer role open and the requirement is one of the languages that person is not listing, but person applied. Um, so what I can do, I can reply with the question uh, like hey uh, think of your CV but uh, one thing that I would like just to clarify um, and then we will see if there's conversation uh, could happen uh, another thing if I see that there is um, 
we really miss much, but I know that we are hiring for different roles. I can try to tag my colleagues in this uh, um, uh, tracking system and ask them if they're interested. So I can um, try to explore every opportunity for this person uh, in the company. Uh, also, I can tag the hiring manager. So everyone has access to it. So the moment the person applied, so it's very easy to go through the details and see. Of course, I do look for the keywords um they will be the indications for me that's why i always suggest in the cv put the keywords and i also expect from the software engineer to sort um to have some kind of categories in their cv so let's say um uh, a, a few mentionings what type of the role the person is looking i want to be a team leader i want to be a hands-on software engineer and the skills that are also qualified like these are the like languages I know this is the libraries I use uh, so that everything is neat and structured so that I can also try to see if there's um, connection between other technologies uh, that we are looking for um, I would be paying attention of course for the um, uh, last uh, few jobs that the person had uh, not to the lens of them so to be honest I don't think it should be even the criteria how long you're staying in the company especially right now uh, because especially like you know freelancing remote whatever but I will be looking for I would like to see what the person was doing like maybe example of the task example of the project like with gaming it's easy so I can see the game straight away and the person can say hey I was drawing these bushes so <laughs> so or I was doing something else so some indications on um, on the scale impact yes exactly so um uh, if you're if i'm hiring for the startup um i'm trying to find uh, any evidences of the person being in any startup so that's why it's easier to to understand if the person knows the specifics but uh, if i don't see it's not going to be rejection uh deal breaker uh, straight away for me i will still try to have the conversation if the other things like uh experience and um uh, let's say location may be important for me or a particular technology that I can see. So I will start the conversation. Awesome. All right. Uh, resume templating. Um, I see a lot of people go for these fancy designs where they have these, you know, skills with a bar of how much they're expert in and all of that fancy graphics stuff. Does it matter? So uh, to be honest, I don't even understand when the person put the like, you know, the dots and uh, like uh, three dots are like uh, a darker and this kind of thing. So it's only an indication I can't compare with anything. So um, and sometimes also the ATS uh, screw the format. So if you like, like very creative, um, a software engineer and you designed an amazing CV and then, you know, it's uh, not uh, possible to open it uh, so it's not going to work for you well i would go for simple neat uh, well-organized uh, cv um, uh, but for some roles i would say being creative is important for artists it's a portfolio so we don't care that much about cv so we usually even just receive like hey my name is that and this is my portfolio uh, for the software engineers i also see uh, a common trace to have own website so that people also can send the link. Hey, this is my website. This is my blog. This is what I do. And I, I, it gives so much context on the person, like what they're interested about. And um, yeah, I love that. But yeah, like simple, nice CV is good. One thing that a lot of people also struggle is um, uh, the photo. To put your photo, to not to put your photo. Um, just uh, my advice will be be yourself. 
And if you like your photo on the CV, send it. If the company is going to be biased, you don't want to work in that company. So it's going to be your filter. If you want to write a very creative, crazy um, uh, cover letter with a video link, when uh, when I click on it, so I can see the video when you're like walking around and talking about some stuff. So crazy, but interesting. I don't know. Should be fun as well. I agree. But sometimes people take it over. I think what people don't understand is it's not about being flashy. It's about being yourself. And it's about, you know, showing your personal brand through your resume in whatever way possible. And if you're if you don't have a personal brand, you've never developed it before, stick to the simple stuff. If you have a strong personal brand, include it and showcase it. Um, a lot of people include hobbies. This is relevant. I think it's also uh, a little bit location and cultural uh, uh, because in the Netherlands, uh, people love to know what is your hobby and they're going to use a lot of icebreakers uh, to start the conversation. Oh, I see you love skiing. So I also like last year, blah, blah, blah. So in some other cultures, it's probably going to be less common. Um, I would say it's not going to make your um, decrease your chances to get the interview if you don't have hobby. So if you stick to the skills and experience, you still gonna get it um but uh, yeah like if you can include something more interesting rather than reading and uh... <laughs> swimming 100 <laughs> percent. i think it's also a placement problem like don't put your hobby like in the most prime place at the top of your resume maybe like somewhere at the bottoms or, or... yeah it could be interests like uh, you can tell that oh you're a fan of uh, like uh, space exploration you know i once included uh, in my cv uh, that i was sitting like 20 meters from buzz aldrin and that was exciting <laughs> some people understand <laughs> Yeah, these things are great, uh, you know, to start the interview, to have a fun, normal conversation before digging into the details. Uh, all right. Amazing. Um, one thing I also feel like a lot of people are very dogmatic about how people should structure when they give advice about structuring resume. I don't feel like we should be as dogmatic. Uh, a lot of people advise adding an objective or whatever, a, a summary of the profile at the top of the resume. How relevant is this? I would say... One thing that um, a lot of people know is that uh, with the high volume uh, companies, if you apply for high volume companies, so you expect that recruiter is probably spending like 15, 20 seconds on your CV. So that's what I would uh, keep in mind, unfortunately. Um, I don't think it's enough to understand who you are. That's why you have to go for some tricks uh, to, to, to get the attention. Um, for this, I would suggest uh, highlight some of the keywords like technologies and structure the way like, yeah, this is your name, this is your contact details, this is a little bit of summary, this like elevator pitch. So, hey, I'm a 10 plus software engineer working in this kind of, you know, fields and enjoying this. Then maybe a highlight of your skills and overview on your experience. And that will be all um, to get at least a chance to be for this 20 seconds properly reviewed. Fantastic. Um, and I, I personally have interviewed thousands of people because part of my work at, at, at SE Factory, the bootcamp, I had to, you know, really interview a huge load of students coming out of university and i barely looked at the resume for five seconds maybe where that where i had to make a judgment call um if you had a dump of information in your resume where i cannot really screen it very quickly that's that's in, a, a no from me if you have a lot of irrelevant information that's a no for me 
if you are too flashy and I don't get what I need to read immediately, that's a no for me. Grammar mistakes, big no. That means you're not paying attention to, you know, whatever you're, it's, it's your resume. It's a reflection of you. It's, these are very important things. You don't want to look like you're trying too hard. Uh, I, I think it shows. I don't know. For some reason, it shows. And after a while, recruiters, I think, and I've developed sort of a, like a heuristic or my mind immediately started categorizing resumes. And maybe it's biased. Maybe it's wrong. But we are, I think we're humans at the end of the day. We're very subjective about these things. And we start really putting people like resumes and, and profiles in buckets based on just how the resume looks like. Do you feel the same? Yeah, I totally feel the same. So I feel like um, a CV a resume in general is not a, the best uh, presentation of the software engineer at all. And uh, I think that just software engineers just ha ha have to play this game uh, just to go through um, recruiters and, uh, you know, providing the CV, etc. cetera. Um, what if um, you also think about the way what is best presenting you? And uh, let's say you don't want to apply with resume, but you decided to send a message to the company CTO or engineer manager, just a message saying, hey, um, uh, this is me. This is what I'm doing. So if I can be at any help, so let, let's catch up. Love it. Love it. I, I, be part of the process. That's the thing. And I've been very successful personally at that. I've tried it many times, cold emailing people, adding people on, on LinkedIn, not being this annoying pesky person who's just, you know, stalking people, but just drop a very polite message, you know, and just give it time. If they have time to respond, they will. If they're not interested, they're not interested. You got your message. You got your response. Don't do follow-ups. Don't do all of that stuff. Just, I, I love this. Great advice. Um, Allah, where do you normally look for your leads? Um, sure. So, um, in in a way, it depends what type of specialist I'm looking for. So, I will try to investigate a little bit more. Let's say we are looking for backend software engineers. I will try to find uh, Slack communities, Discord communities, meetups, um, blogs, uh, YouTube channels, anything that could give me an indication that uh, here are the uh, backend engineers hanging out and discussing some interesting topics. Uh, Reddit, of course. Um, so Twitter. So everything I can in terms of the social media. Um, before that, of course, I will check LinkedIn. So LinkedIn will be the, uh, the step number one. But um, LinkedIn filters work really, really, like, it's broken. So let's say, let me put it like this way. The filters are broken. And uh, if you're looking for a job, one of my like best advice for you will be, don't forget to put a specific location. Because um, if you don't add a location, uh, your CV probably, even if you're open for work, not going to be seen. So the filters are just so random. Um, that's why I go in X-ray public profiles on LinkedIn. So that's why if you also um, like to be seen by recruiters, uh, keep your um, public profiles on LinkedIn. Perfect. I, I have a lot of questions about this. So, all right, LinkedIn, that's uh, that's a great platform of choice. I see a lot of people who don't pay attention to LinkedIn. I think you should. I've, I've gotten a lot of, uh, my job at GitHub right now is through LinkedIn because the recruiter was able to find me there and I work a lot on polishing my profile all the time and keeping it up to date. So here's my question for you. If I want to work in another country, how does the location game work? Yeah. For me as a recruiter, it will be a little bit disappointing when I will see that you are in the country that I'm hiring for, but you are not physically there. So you're just looking for relocation. Um, uh, but it will give you the chance to probably be seen uh, by recruiters who are looking in that specific location. 
Um, so uh, mentioning um, languages, uh, for example, you, you, you are not in Germany, but you speak German. Also, you will end up in the searches uh, where people are looking for uh, German-speaking or German-based candidates. So that could be one trick. Um, and so, yeah, if you would like to increase your chances to be found by recruiters in a certain location, uh, change the location, and then you can always explain, hey, um, I'm willing to relocate. This is what I want to do. Um, and yeah, at least you have a conversation. Do you think it would make sense for someone to build a network with recruiters who hire in a specific location, for example, if they're able to find, like doing the reverse. So I will search for recruiters who are in a certain country and then maybe even connect with them. Do you think this works or? I, I think that's what uh, the others are doing. So that's what I see. So I receive a lot of um, messages on LinkedIn from software engineers saying, hey, um, now, by the way, I'm in this location and I'm looking for to move uh, to the Netherlands. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's a good strategy. And um, uh, for example, in the Netherlands, we have a huge community of recruiters on Slack um, uh, where we share candidates, where we share people who are really looking for a job right now and um, we can help. I think it's a really good strategy. Awesome. That's great advice. So I want to move uh, forward in the process, right? So now we did the outreach, we found our lead, we found a few, a handful of candidates that we think the hiring manager is interested in. What happens next? Um, so after like the job is posted, so they're applicants. So this is the people that we expect having uh, motivation. And uh, when you interview them, you're trying to really like, uh, you expect them to be prepared. So this is what's important. I expect them to read the company blog or news or at least a job description. So it's a minimum of my expectations for the applicants. Uh, when I'm sourcing the candidates, like for example, I reach out to, to you on LinkedIn and like said, hey, this is amazing opportunity. And I invited you for, you for the interview. And then actually what I'm supposed to do is to sell you the job. But often, it's really like a comedy, often recruiters asking like, Hey, why you decided to change the job or something like that? And you're like, because you approached me. Exactly, right? Yeah, I always say it's it's, it's a sales. It's a sales mechanic. Like uh, the dynamic is, is selling the job itself when you're sourcing, when you're headhunting, basically. Yeah. Uh, reach out is, is a really big part of, uh, it's a big challenge for us. So where to reach out? And um, there's so many things about that, but I will just try uh, to to, to touch the most important ones. Um, most of the times we are trying to reach out on LinkedIn uh, because uh, this way uh, we expect that the email, uh, that you will receive the email. And so to send in the follow-ups um, and LinkedIn is hard because I have to do that manually. And every time when you're not responding, so I'm losing the credit. So that's why it's like, it's kind of expensive for recruiters not to receive the replies on LinkedIn. So just, just to give you the idea. At the same time, when I'm not receiving your responses uh, on LinkedIn, I'm thinking, okay, so what is my response rate? And uh, average is um, like 20%. It's getting the idea that, you, that software engineers are there only when they're looking for a job probably. So this way, I'm using the third-party tools uh, to find the email address. It's also paid tools. Uh, they give me the, your personal email address and then the whole other uh, story. So we reach out, we send the follow-up, but at the same time, we receive a lot of messages like, hey, where have you found my email? And uh, developers are annoyed and we're trying to create the messages that are a little bit more personalized, like why we decided to reach out. So 
I also think it's a it's a not ideal game like to send the message and um, but at the same time like you know how we can do it better. <laughs> Yeah, and I remember we had a session uh, like a few weeks ago where we talked to a lot of recruiters in the Netherlands about this specific topic. And I have my opinions on it. The, the thing is, uh, people who have a nice, interesting profile, they're, they're not, it's not a gigantic group. And these same people get hammered by all the recruiters pretty much. Uh, and that's sad because that means that the tail ends or the larger amount of people in, in the other categories are not getting the same amount of attention. And these people are confused, like why we talk about shortage in tech talent, but we're not getting approached by anyone. And then a small group of people getting are getting approached by everyone. Um, and I think there should be a solution to that. I don't know how it looks like that solution. Uh, and the second problem is that recruiters also have very generic messages. Um, and I don't know how we can help the other categories beef up their profiles so that they get the attention of recruiters uh, while, you know, um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on this? You have to promote your profile. So, for example, if, if I look at your profile, so first of all, of course, I see the names and the companies that are relevant to where I work as well. And so I would like, like the same tiers or at least, you know, the same level of expectations for the uh, engineers. Um, at the same time, yeah, I think even if you're junior, uh, you can still make your profile so interesting. Like you will add the hashtags, you will, first of all, you need to grow your network. That's, that, 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 that's of course. So add as many people as you can. Um, uh, because I, I know that people, some people even pay attention how many connections you have, but it doesn't matter. It should not, really should not influence uh, if it's a good person or not so then you yeah you grow your network and then you can add some social media files links and write uh, in a fun way about yourself and by the way you can put any title you want so not that people are really like care but be careful because um the title game it's what we play um, on LinkedIn. So we use uh, the search for the simple titles like backend engineer, backend Python engineer, and we are trying to find um, these keywords. If you put something very creative, I will never, I, I'm not going to see you, unfortunately. 100%. I love this because I see people like, I'm changing the world. Okay, great, fantastic. Just put it somewhere else in your profile. <laughs> there, just be very specific. You are a senior software engineer and use generic uh, titles. So what I would recommend is maybe like a software engineer, right? Or uh, maybe even backend engineer front if you have a specialization. Um, if you have another niche, mention it there. And then staff engineer or team lead, uh, software engineer, make sure to mention software engineer as well, right? Um, if you worked at a startup where you got the title CTO and you have three years of experience, please don't say you're a CTO. Just team, use some other title because people are just going to approach you as a CTO and then you get it, they're going to see you have three years of experience. You're going to get the wrong leads, basically. You're going to get the wrong recruiters approaching you. Um, and you can also mention some things on, on, on uh, your summary. So I do read it and I see, hey, no recruiters, recruiters, leave me alone. I hate recruiters, this kind of thing. So um, 
in a way, yeah, you can send a message, hey, I'm happy where I am right now. Uh, I'm not open for um, changing the job, but open for just casual conversations or consulting or something like that. So uh, we're supposed to read it. And for, if you're still receiving the messages, so just, just ignore because probably the person is ignoring your like message uh, to everyone. And uh, yeah, create, yeah, I know. So, okay, go ahead. <laughs> Oh, no, I would just say fantastic. That's, that's pretty great advice. And, and now the times are changing. Now's the time when people are just going to be, I wish recruiters would reach out to me more. Uh, it's funny how the dynamic changes. A lot of recruiters lost job as well. So I think someone told me that uh, with recent layoffs around like 2000 recruiters, like immediately lost the job. It happens. So, uh, but at the same time, if you would like to be seen for recruiters, um, look at the simple, um, nice, uh, easy to understand uh, titles um, and so try to add uh, people like to your connections as well and uh, mentioning the projects and skills. So uh, pay attention to the skills that endorse because I think you can even um, rotate them. I uh, now did it for myself, but yeah, so you know. <laughs> Yeah, and you can get uh, also linked, you can answer the LinkedIn quizzes and get these, um, I don't know what you call it. It's like achievements or like it's uh, not certifications, but yeah, something, yeah, endorsements, yeah, endorsements, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's also like where you pass a test and you get like this flag that you you know the stuff, <laughs> even though you can just Google it, but whatever. So like it's not, it's not something that is like 100% going to be like influencing of anything. Yeah, at the end of the day, you're just going to have to do the interview loops and do whatever the company is looking at like the process um let's talk about the interview process a little bit um so we got the we, you'd handed over the, the your your candidates to the hiring manager and then they make a call on who they want to interview uh, uh yeah so we do the screening usually so uh it's very rarely when we decide that um that we need to make a decision to put the person in the interview process without uh even having the first screening call just to exclude some of the things that could be important for the person as well and um most of the time the interview process is de designed and defined already uh, before the interview um before even starting hiring for the role um so when you applied so you you start usually talking to the recruiter so most of the times if it's a company more than five people um and so you have you're preparing so it could be 15 minutes call it could be 30 minutes call one advice that i would say please look at the time for how long they schedule it so this this could be helpful for you to see how much time you have to ask your questions and also to um yeah to, to know if you need to prepare so for example i know that some recruiters like to have one hour conversation very in-depth etc some like call you for 15 minutes ask you a few questions and you feel like you didn't pass and uh yeah it's it's a bit annoying so just um look at it uh from the perspective like how much time to plan and the goal for this it's um really to decide to put the person in the process or not to put the person in the process and uh, here um as a recruiter like tech recruiter i'm not assessing your technical skills most of my questions will be around your motivation and telling you a little bit more about the role so that you also understand this hidden like 40 percent of the context that can be, be put on the job description online and i'm trying to tell you a little bit more about like uh, who exactly we're looking for uh maybe uh, a bit of the team 
how big is the team, where we are located, uh, do we provide visa, um, and uh, tell you about the interview process and try to get information about your salary, of course. All right, awesome. I want to talk about that a little bit. So, <laughs> first of all, do you have, uh, so what I know is there are always ranges and bands for hiring, right? So you have a minimum minimum salary, high, highest salary you can get to. And probably even you can get to higher ranges if you get approvals for it, or I don't know. Tell me more about this. Do you have the ranges beforehand for every position? Yeah, I, I'm afraid to be killed by other recruiters, but yeah. So the truth is, yes, we have the, the, the budgets and the ranges uh, for the roles because you already have people in your team hired, right? So they also have their like a performance and expectations, how how big is going to be gross for the salary. And when you hire the new people, so you also, um, of course, market influence, but you're still trying to make it fair for, for, for the whole team in the future. Uh, uh, it could be that the ranges are a little bit more flexible uh, because you can find the person that's really a little bit more experienced than you expected. So you can stretch it a little bit. Um, but most of the times, like the gaps are, for example, recruiters saying to you, hey, this role is between like 90,000 and uh, 120. It's a very big gap. And I think as a, as a, as a candidate, you will like just only thing that you're going to hear is 120. <laughs> and this is the problem that I think that, um, to be honest, um, it's a tricky game. And in a way, both are losing if uh, they're jumping to this conversation very fast. Because if you say, hey, um, this is what I'm looking for and I'm not interested in less, I think it's a fair approach. Let's say, hey, I'm not going to tell you my current salary. By the way, never tell your current salary because most of the times it's even covered by your NDA. And it is shouldn't be even, you know, a reason to give you salary based on your current salary. Uh, and um, what you can tell, uh, you can say that there is some minimum expectations that are a little bit higher what you're exactly getting. So you can, let's say your salary is 80 and you say, hey, I'm looking for 100. That would be my goal to start the conversation. And then you see how it goes. Then the recruiter needs to decide, is it, it, does it fit? Maybe you ask too little. It's, it's also the case. But then um, in the good companies, um, they will never pay you less than your worth, less than they actually expected for this level of engineering. So when you're applying for the good companies, so you expect less uh, games uh, with this uh, question. Amazing. I love that. Yes, indeed. The good companies will never lowball you. Um, and that's, um, yeah, that's something a bit sad because, because if you don't know the ranges, you can never really figure it out. Everybody wants the highest range. And what bothers me a little bit is like, especially in the sourcing uh, approach where I didn't apply, you reached out to me. So that, that makes me kind of special. Why don't you want to give me the highest range that you have for this potential position, right? And yeah, unfortunately, this is the game. Any advice on that front where people can get the yeah, I think it could be two type of advice. If you're an expat and looking to relocate to another country and you definitely don't know what are the ranges, uh, you have to do the research. 
So recruiters are not going to do that for you, unfortunately. Um, so you can reach out to a few uh, resources. It could be a little bit Glassdoor. Glassdoor seems to be always a little bit higher than it is, um, but at least it's some indication. Um, also, in some countries, there are minimum salaries for expats. I will also suggest, hey, Google it. For example, in the Netherlands, I think it's around like 60K for high-skilled migrants per year. It's a minimum what you should expect. Maybe in your country, it's like, you know, you earn 45 and you're happy. So um, there is a um, Numerio, I think, Numerio, something like that. So uh, there are websites that has a lot of data on the cost of living in the country. So then you can really try to um, also calculate some, etc. If you're asking too much, uh, in a way, recruiter will come back to you and saying, hey, we love you, but uh, probably um, our budget is a little bit less. So maybe are you going to be okay with this and that? So uh, if you're asking too little, yeah, you're risking if it's a bad employer, they will just accept it um, and not going to tell you that you can ask more, more, really, really more. But again, if it's a good, good company, so you will get uh, a fair compensation. So basically the best advice is um, I try to establish for yourself uh, the minimum of your expectations, that will make it easier for you to, to accept uh, the, um, the offer and the conditions. Because at the end, like, you know, the the one, the, one, the worst pay, like painful experience I have is when the whole team was um, engaged with the interview process, everyone was happy, but the conversation was discussed at the very last end. And so we didn't like meet expectations of each other. So all for nothing. That's awful. Yeah, that's awful because it's like everybody's time was wasted um, in, in this thing. Um, so have you ever changed the interview process for a candidate that didn't want to go through your process? Uh, is this, have you ever heard of this? Did it ever happen for anyone or does everybody go through the same uh, interview loops? Good question. So uh, in a big companies with established interview processes that's usually even available online, so again, to uh, click the ch check the glass door because a lot of uh, interview questions and interview process are very detailed explained there, already as well. Um, but when it comes to the companies with uh, like fixed, well well thought uh, um, uh, interview process, it's probably very unlikely that is going to happen that's anything going to change so what they can do maybe combine some of the stages to make it a little bit faster um uh, so that's that's possible but like completely change for example uh like to give everyone the technical task but not to you so that's probably not going to happen uh with like big companies established the uh, interview process but in startups many times so the interview process was uh, changed because like, yeah, so, oh, this is like awesome person. Like, yeah, let's uh, like lots of years of experience. Let's give the test, let's, let's, let's hire. So many times happened. <laughs> this is a tip for everyone listening, right? So <laughs> the process could also be negotiated. Uh, it depends on the companies, maybe big tech, probably not uh, just because they have compliance regulations, all of that fun stuff. They're afraid of the fairness, but, uh, and I, I, I can see that uh, because, like, yeah, if you allow someone to skip uh, important uh, step, that, like, technical test, that could be. But um, the way how engineers are tested um, in the companies, it's also, like, another big topic. I'm not a fan of this... Um, you know, puzzle type of uh, interviews when you have to spend a lot of time on lead code and decide something that you're never ever going to touch and do. So, uh, yeah, like if you don't like the interview process, um, as a as a person, 
I think it's already indication that you're probably not going to like the people who are hired because they passed this process. Maybe some of them even love this process. So then you will be surrounded by people loving lead code and you will be the one who's not loving it. <laughs> Don't get me started on this. Um, yeah, honestly, I started doing something and I don't know if if this is if going to amount to anything, but I'm telling recruiters right away that approach me that I'm not a fan of your process and unless you change it, I'm not going to start. Uh, and I've been doing this recently because I think it's just ridiculous. I understand um, why companies might want to do it. There are gatekeepers. There are people who have passed the process before and they because they passed it, they're like, we did it the hard way, so why should we reduce the quality or the bar, you know, for, for people to come in? And I think that's just a very ridiculous uh, excuse. And it's contributing to the whole mess of we cannot find talent. There are many ways to measure technical people. And there are many ways to get signals from interviews beyond just puzzle lead code type of stuff. I understand it maybe for new hires that are coming out of university right away where there's literally nothing else to measure them on. Uh, but also getting to the answer is not necessarily the game. Um, it, it's more of the thought process and what really goes on in this in this interview. I mean, is recruiter sometimes very, you know, surprised why uh, software engineers are uh, building very uncomfortable uh, interview processes? Like a lot of us know that uh, pair programming is uh, so much fun and it's, it gives uh, like a different type of stress to the person because not everyone loves to like when the other people looking under the shoulder and like, you know, watching everything you're doing. So so we all have different ways how we um, work and um, some people just need to think and if someone is constantly talking while you're trying to think and concentrate to solve the problem so like yeah that's impossible i also see a lot of resistance from software engineers to take take home assignments or to do uh, pair programming that takes hours um, have you seen resistance in the field like do, you, do people tell you, for example, that no, we're not going to do this and uh, we're not going to go through the process if it involves like a take-home assignment, for example? It is a very fair question from the software engineers. Um, uh, for example, some home take-home assignments are very long. So engineers receiving like 8, 16, sometimes 70 hours um, uh, tasks to complete you're 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 not paying them for this time and it's really really a lot of time of someone just who was probably not looking for a job you approached and then you asked to do something that is taking like half of the weekend um so that's why i think yeah when i see this resilience and uh, people not being happy to do that um uh, i was suggesting to the hiring teams hey let's have um a like maximum of hours that we expect from the person to spend, like let's say maximum four hours, that's it. So we're not expecting more. This way we can also make it fair because some candidates are very busy. Some candidates have uh, lost the job and have a lot of free time. So they can build different things. So in four hours and 24 hours, right? So I'm, yeah, I think that some companies were overusing it and putting developers in a situation where they were doing the home, the take-home task that is very long, and maybe sometimes even part of the job of the company. So company was fishing uh, for them some kind of solutions and was giving it as a take-home test. So I've heard the stories like that, and um, I completely understand why developers don't like it. 
and uh, about the pair programming, uh, this is um, this is a hard one because um, usually one hour is not enough for many reasons. You have to set up things, you have to do the icebreaker, you have to go through some things like explanations, how you expect him to do this and that. So that's why a few hours, it's, um, yeah, like two hours is, is something that is doable to, to go through some minimum of the things. Honestly, if you ask me my opinion, even those are, don't give a good signal. Um, like I, I'm a software engineer, I know myself, I've hired people before. If I, as an interviewer, cannot figure out in, a, in a, just a chat how much people know, like, that's, that's how it should be. Like, if I am worth uh, my, my skills, my, my experience, I should be able to gauge if another person has experience or not by just asking them the questions uh, and seeing how they respond to different scenarios, different circumstances. But I think what the problem is, also companies find it, find it difficult to have their own people interview others. So that's why they sort of try to standardize the interview process and make it more like a scripted narrative thing um, so that they can try to be as fair as possible to everyone. Because if you get a good interviewer, they're gonna give you a nice experience. If you get a horrible interviewer and there's really no structure for the interview, you're, they're not they're not gonna get a signal and they're probably gonna have a bad hire yeah I think everyone should have some like a minimum of the um, the trainings to how to do the interview how to handle some of the things and uh, um, with better interviewers uh, it's it's gonna make so many people unhappy and you're probably not gonna hire so many people but you know to your point it's interesting so I love talking to software engineers but at the same time I think what's best showing uh, the results of the work is the code um, so sometimes I was asking software engineers if they can send the samples um, or example of the, the project they work on free time turn out that um, not everyone can do that because of the NDA so that's that's the thing <laughs> but I felt like hey let's save the time for everyone um, and so if you can see uh, your code like and you can walk me through why you use this and that why you do this way so that's that could be like a good conversation 100% or just share with them some code that is public or written and just have a conversation about it. Like it doesn't have to be something they've written. Uh, they could do a code review on some something that's already written in a programming language or framework they are familiar with. Like this could be another approach, right? I don't know. We just stress too much the wrong things. I, I have a lot of ideas for a good interview process, but maybe we leave that for another time. Um, I want to ask the last couple of questions. Um, is your job as a recruiter to sort of filter out or to filter in people? So really good question. Uh, um, it sounds like both things, uh, because if you have a lot of applications, so then your job becoming like a filter out. Um, but uh, I do feel like, especially it's just 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 me because I'm in gaming. Um, almost every person who is applying is a passionate player of your game. And you treat them as the, the same way, like a special players who are very, like, you know, keen about what you do. So this way you try to filter in. You're trying to see if the person is really matching the requirements. So, okay, so do you have this one? Do you have that one? And, okay, you don't have this one, but this is, this is the skill that you can acquire, like, in a month or something. So you try to get people in. Awesome. Sounds great. Ala, do you have any advice for folks who are on the lookout for opportunities? Yeah, so um, 
the power of network is something that is definitely going to be helpful. Um, if you haven't thought about your LinkedIn profile, please just have a look and uh, make it uh, um, a little bit more uh, visible by taking that you're open for work, uh, by liking someone's posts, by making your own posts and adding uh, people on the network. Um, with layoffs, um, it's it's really sucks. It's also psychologically absolutely uh, like a comfortable situation, and you probably want to take some time to just. Just um, uh, decide what you're gonna do. Um, that would be the advice. Just to take, take just, to, just a little bit of time to really like reassess everything that happened with you. Get connected with recruiters because also we have um, layoff tracker. So you, you can even like Google like that layoff tracker, and there are a list of people who are looking for a job um, uh, from different companies. So we're trying to um, connect and trying to find the companies that's um, actually hiring right now for this specialist. So um, my suggestion would be um, getting in the communities of people uh, like you, like backend engineers or uh, on Slack, on Discord. And then you can also like introduce yourself and say, hey, by the way, I'm open for a job. Um, this is probably the only way like, to get it, to, to be proactive in the social media, especially on LinkedIn, because everyone is first checking there. Allah, thank you very much for everything you've shared with us today. Thank you very much for your time. This has been very insightful and also a fun conversation to have. Thank you so much. I hope that everyone who is looking for a job will find it. And forgive us recruiters if we're making mistakes. Not always because we're just lazy or anything. So it's just mistakes. And the same should go to the software engineers. Um, just to be more open-minded about their profiles and assist them to get uh, into the good jobs. So that, I think, is the job of the, of the tech recruiter. So um, happy to be uh, here. And so, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think empathy is uh, definitely, it should be the way to go for everything. And once we understand each other's roles and positions and dynamics, I think that makes everything clear for everyone and helpful. All right. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. And we will catch you next time.